Hi again, everyone, and welcome into the Black and Blue Report podcast series presented by SeatGeek. I'm Sean Kelly. Great to be back with you on this Wednesday edition. This edition will take us all the way through the weekend, so even if it's not Wednesday, uh, you can enjoy my upcoming guest here in just a moment, Mr. Wes Durham. We're coming to you, obviously, from Studio B at the Osher Sports Performance Center, right in the middle of Rivalry Week. Saints and Falcons this Sunday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Both teams come in at 1-1. One and one. Uh, This is, I want to say, the 98th meeting now in the regular season between the Saints and the Falcons. Atlanta has won three of the last four, but New Orleans won the most recent meeting, and it's a pivotal division game here for both teams sitting behind, get this, first place Tampa. Unbelievable. Obviously, the Falcons are coming off of a win, Saints as well, and the Falcons got more tough injury news this week. They are just riddled with injuries here early in this season. And the Saints are still scratching their heads about what's been going on through the first two weeks of the regular season themselves. So both teams may be finding out even more about each other and themselves when they meet up on this Sunday at 12 o'clock. As we have done here the last couple of years, at some point during this week, we get the privilege of visiting with Wes Durham. The voice of the Atlanta Falcons is, uh, is in my eyes, one of the best play-by-play announcers in the NFL a long history as well of broadcasting college sports, does a ton of television work, most notably in the Atlantic Coast Conference, and now also serves as a radio host with his good friend Mark Packer on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Multi-talented, great storyteller, and a a, a very astute chronicler of the games. Uh, And so he's had also a good taste of this rivalry over the years. We'll talk about the taste of the rivalry a little bit today as well we'll also pick his brain about a previous job of his um, that maybe you might find interesting to say the least so with that being said here is i get to have my long form visit of the week here on black and blue report i think we made another smart choice in the voice of the falcons west durham we'll get you ready for game day and we'll hopefully learn well i know we will a lot more about saints and falcons with west durham in just a moment this is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio, wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. And with that, we welcome in West Durham, the voice of the Atlanta Falcons, who was kind enough to join us for seemingly a semi-annual visit here. We love to do this during what many have described as hate week as the Saints and the Falcons renew acquaintances this coming weekend at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, not Superdome. Hello, Wes. Sean, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, I came across something in getting ready for today that I wanted to bring up right off the bat was the fact that you've never told me the story about your days as a DJ at a roller rink. Um, I can't believe in all the years I've known you that that has never come up before. What have we known one another? Twenty some years? Yeah, right? probably. <laughs> Is that because I've just not been good enough to look or you've just not wanted to share? Well, it didn't last long. In fact, it's been discussed maybe I only did it for about mm, six months, five months. But uh there was a method to the madness if you really want to know the truth. Um 
the short story is is that I did it to chase girls. Well, that would describe half the things that I've done in my life too. But go on. <laughs> um, I actually uh, there was a roller rink, you know, typical nineteen seventies eighties roller rink uh, in the town I lived in. I lived in Cary, outside of Raleigh, went to Apex High School, and um, I went over there and spent the first three and a half weeks fixing skates and cleaning bathrooms and doing all the things you do when you take a minimum wage job in high school. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, they said, Hey, you want to play music? And I went, sure. So I ended up doing, uh, some of the midweek nights, which were fine. Uh, but really the, the coup de grace at the roller rink was if you could be the DJ on the Friday or the Saturday night show. And so, you know, the building would open at six thirty, six o'clock. You know, the lights and all the stuff would start about 7, 7.15, and you'd wrap it up about 10, 15, 10.30 because kids got to get home, man. You know, parents, you know, it's a safe place. We don't, you know, parents are going to come by and pick up their kids. Well, you know, it was fun. I did, uh, I probably did, I don't know, six to ten Friday, Saturday night shows in the span of two and a half months. And then right as I got ready to graduate high school, I stopped working there, and it was awesome. And, uh I did it because there were cute girls that would either come to skate or work there, so it worked out good. Did you did you ever garner yourself a date uh, or at least a phone number out of that deal? Yeah, a couple phone numbers, one or two dates. Yeah, um, and I'm sure if uh, if I dug deep, in, deep enough, I could find out maybe what one or two I'm doing today. <laughs> but that'd be that'd be frightening, wouldn't it? Oh my lord! Facebook is a dangerous <laughs> thing, isn't it? Oh, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. <laughs> well, most most requested song that that particular summer or year. Can you remember? Well, that was when Michael uh, Jackson's Thriller video came out. Wow! So the Thriller video came out like in January, or February of that year. So you know the deal for us was is that uh, weeknights we would play it at the top of every hour at the rink, and it was eighteen minutes. You know the video was eighteen minutes, and so. Uh, and this was, I mean, you'll love this. This was rogue VHS stuff. You'd have a machine, you'd queue up the tape, but you bootleg pirated the Thriller video off of MTV type deal, you know. Um, it wasn't like we had some, you know, DVD of it, right? Right. Uh, so, um, Thriller video was hot. There is a song that was out uh, back then. It was a dance song by a house music group called uh, Art of Noise was the name of the group. And I think the song was called Beaten Box. And it was like a dance, you know, techno dance deal, and it was, um, it was, it was pretty hot. So, break dancing and DJing all the way through. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I love music. I still do today. I love all kinds of music. But the fact that I was a roller rink DJ, I tell you, you know, you'll remember the name Marvin Lewis, who played on Georgia Tech's Final Four team in mm-hmm. 2004. Marvin Lewis to this day. Uh, when they were kind enough to induct me in the Georgia Tech Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, Marvin Lewis told a group of people, he said, I can't believe we're putting a roller rink DJ in the Hall of Fame tonight. So there you go. He did not. Oh. Yeah, oh yeah. No, he laughed. It was a funny story because he remembers when he was in school as a player, somebody did a story on me in the student newspaper and said, most bizarre job you ever had. And I said, well, you know, I worked construction site renovation one summer and I was a roller rink DJ. Well, the roller rink DJ part stuck in the article. And to this day, he still thinks that's one of the funniest things I've ever done. It's outstanding. 
it's probably one of many jobs that you had along the way. We've all done them. Um, Wes, if you were to think of any of those side jobs, part-time jobs, whatever, which one do you think helped you become a better broadcaster in the long run? Did any of them contribute something to the success that we know as you today? Well, you're kind to say that. Um, I don't know. I probably did those jobs knowing I didn't want to do them again, so I knew for sure I wanted to get in school and graduate and get a job and work as hard as I could and hopefully be as successful as I could, if that means anything. I mean, once I did manual labor one summer, I knew I didn't want to do that again. I waited tables for about 45 days, knew for sure I didn't want to do that. So, yeah, I think you, I think you always find a way to drive yourself through one way or another. Um, but I tell you, there's nothing like there's nothing like what we get to do in this industry, doing games. I mean, you know, I'm sure being a part of a news station and you know covering events and political events and world events and all that stuff, unbelievable. But man, the momentum of sports is is spectacular. Oh, and the spontaneity of the live event. It's there's nothing like it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, all right, here we go, Wes. First of the two meetings, uh, as I mentioned, some call it hate week. Uh, I just like to call it a good rivalry that's nearing the century mark in regular season meetings. Yeah. Both teams one and one. Which, where, where do you think this stands right now as these two teams enter week three? Well, you would have. we would have all believed Tampa would be, you know, I don't think any of us would take it Tampa at 2-0. and oh. We might have said they'd have two wins all year, you know. Um but for them to go to New Orleans and win and certainly to beat Philly last week says something. I think the other thing, too, is, and I was talking with Dave Archer, who does the games with me, Sean, yesterday. What it does is it creates premiums on these matchups in the division very early in the year because somebody's involved in this that you didn't anticipate. Had Carolina, New Orleans, and Atlanta all been 1-1 one and one, and Tampa 0-2, oh I think we all would have said, okay, fine, you know. Uh, I'm sure the Saints are disappointed at one and one, knowing that, you know, Tampa got them in the home opener and then they, you know, squeezed by Cleveland last week. But they found a way to win the game, and I think the dynamic of one and one and zero oh and two is really, really interesting in today's NFL. Um, but I still feel like those three teams are the three that are going to make the the impact in the league this year. Um, Atlanta has played obviously better in week two than they did in week one. I thought defensively they played well in both games. Uh, the injuries are a concern for me, Sean, after two weeks, especially the two on the defensive side with Keanu Neal and uh, Deion Jones, who's from there in New Orleans and obviously played at LSU. Um, and now losing Andy Levitra in the offensive line, you know, I'm concerned. I'm, I'm concerned that they're building up early because, as you know, it's a really long season and injuries do play a part in it, but you don't like to see them any time. But when they, they happen early, I guess teams have a chance to rebound from them, but if they're premium like the Neil Jones injuries are, um, you know, I think they can change the course of your season if you don't handle it properly. Handling it properly. I'm glad you brought that up because seemingly, at least under Dan Quinn, this hasn't been a big problem for Atlanta. In fact, I was always jealous of the Falcons' health the last couple of years. Mentally, is this an adjustment for a team that hasn't had to deal with so many injuries in recent memory? Well, what it does, and, and I said this at the top of the broadcast last Sunday, it challenges, and we all, you know, everybody, you know, kind of probably gets brotherhood fatigue sometimes from Atlanta, mm -hmm. hearing about the brotherhood all the time. But this is why you have things like the brotherhood, because you know you're going to go through stuff like this. And, and in all honesty, I think, I think it challenges that. And that's the, the predicament Atlanta finds itself in. The next guy literally has to be up 
Um, and, you know, every team's going to go through it in some form or fashion, but Atlanta has it right here, right now, and they're having to deal with it. So it means that a kid like Duke Riley, yet again another LSU kid, is uh, he's having to play a bigger role. So is Devondre Campbell, the other linebacker. And it also means, too, that, that one of the really interesting stories, I think, in the league, let alone in the South, is Ricardo Allen, who's the Atlanta safety now that takes on basically the on-the-field coach role from the back end of the secondary. And, and so that's how Atlanta's going to deal with that side of the ball. The offensive line side, I think it's a little more complex, to be honest with you. Levitri may not have been perfect, but he was steady. Uh, Brandon Fusco has settled in at right guard. And now Wes Schweitzer, who was beat out by Fusco for the right guard job, slides over to play the left guard. And everybody says, well, he's got a lot of experience. He played a lot last year. He did. Played over 1,000 snaps last year. But, Sean, you and I both know, if you get beat out for a job, you get beat out because you're not good enough. Now you've got a starting job by virtue of injury. Uh, how will you handle that, quote-unquote, second chance? And we'll find out starting on Sunday against the – I like New Orleans as fun a lot, and Cam Jordan is a nightmare for the Falcons, and thus he'll be a nightmare for somebody like Schweitzer, I'm sure. Yeah, let's stay with that whole uh, Saints defense versus Falcons offense. They love to hammer on Matt Ryan down here, rightfully so. He is the arch-rival quarterback, Wes. Yeah. Struggled right. in week one. I, I thought he was, well, much better in week two. They're still 16th in red zone percentage, but yet aren't aren't they getting this thing right now? Seemed to have it right last Sunday. They were four for four after a one for five start. So, yeah, I would say they, um, I would say they were much better last Sunday. And I don't know if it's as easy as the light came on or what, but they got the ball out of there to a lot of different people last week. I thought Tevin Coleman played very well. I thought Tevin Coleman with Devontae Freeman sidelined was outstanding. Uh, I thought they got a lot out of Edo Smith, the, the draft pick out of Southern Miss, who, who's made this team. Um, you know, and, and to be honest with you, they hit third downs and they did some good things over there. Matt Ryan is steady, Sean. Now, he didn't have a great opening night by his admission and everybody else's. But, you know, Matt's one of those guys you don't worry about because he's going to grind it and come back. And, and you know, he outplayed Cam Newton last Sunday. No no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And and thus he outplayed the Panthers' defense. When while their offensive line may have been beaten up a little bit, that defense wasn't beaten up. That defense was real last week. And, uh and Ryan wired them up, to be honest with you. Interesting. You already know these numbers, but I'm going to throw them out there for anybody listening that doesn't realize what Julio Jones has done to the New Orleans Saints over the years. <laughs> 75 catches, 1,160 yards, and three touchdowns in his games against New Orleans. Is is he still the Julio Jones that that Saints fans love to hate but everybody else has to respect? Yeah, because – my bet on Sunday is he takes one and a half guys on every snap with him, so I'm going to say he is. And if they want to play him straight up, then they'll get what's coming to them. Because, look, there are only three of these guys in the league, Sean. You know that. Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, and probably Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, when you, when you boil it all the way down, there are only three of them. Now, I will say this. Drew has a guy that has made incredible leaps and bounds this year, Michael Thomas. And Michael Thomas may be coming on the scene here and, and destined for that top three to five window as well. But I'll say this, Julio Jones one-on-one is three truckloads of trouble for people. Um, and Philadelphia tried to go that route and saw what happened to them. Mm-hmm. So 
I just don't know. I mean, he can explode on you. The scary part for me, if I'm an opponent, is they now have Ridley on the perimeter and Sanu inside. And you know this, Muhammad Sanu is just a monster inside. I mean, he's 6'4", he's 218, he grabs at the ball, he doesn't catch it. He's, he's almost like a, like a, a swing man in basketball who has to go to the block occasionally to take these bounce pass entry, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, he just wants the body contact, craves it. I mean, the crackback block on Luke Keekley was the second of two he delivered on one play last week. He hit Mike Adams and then blasted Keekley on a play. So, look, I think they've got the, I think they've got a weapon with the addition of Ridley that has, has probably changed a little bit of the way they're going to throw the ball this year, too. Yeah, tell me more about Ridley. What have you – what have you seen through camp in these first couple of weeks of this young career for him? Well, Dave Archer, who works with me on these games, has summed it up best. And he summed it up in the Kansas City game, which was the second game of the preseason, when Calvin basically caught about four balls on two drives, and one of them was a touchdown. When Dave made the remark, and we had noticed it at camp, but you had to see it in a game, and you had to see it against a decent team, I guess. So against the number ones of the Kansas City defense, Ridley just showed great poise and awareness for where he is on the field. He knows how to run routes, too, Sean. That's the other thing. He knows exactly how to sell it. He knows how to bend them. You know, when quarterbacks talk about guys, and I'm sure you've heard Bree say this, when quarterbacks know how to get a guy that bends routes the right way and can feel the route developing, Calvin Ridley has is, is got that kind of ability. And you know, we could we could spend a podcast talking about the inequities of quarterback play at Alabama under his uh, under his playing time there, but I can tell you this: with a guy who can shoot it like Matt Ryan or anybody like Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, you name it, Calvin Ridley's got a chance to be spectacular in this league because his of his feel and awareness and just poise on the field uh, in just route running and also kind of those little detail things that I'm sure most of those Alabama guys come out of there with. That's amazing. You don't see bouquets thrown at the former Alabama wide receivers quite like that. So, as you pointed out. Um, Wes, what happens with DeMonte Casey after the ejection last Sunday? Well, let's, let's see. People are going to hear this on Thursday, I guess, right? Well, maybe, yeah, uh, you know, any time between now and game day. Okay. Um my guess on DeMonte KZ, Sean, is is that he will play Sunday, but he'll be light in the wallet from the Sunday hit. Um, I think he'll also have some starts taken out of his game because he had two helmet hits in the preseason, too. Uh, he is a physical, physical guy. I mean, craves the contact in, in the secondary type deal. And he's, I tell you what, they're going to need him on the field and maybe one or two more to contend with what Drew's doing right now. Because you look at Breeze's stat line, it looks like it's made up, you know. Um, I, uh, I I think DeMonte's got a chance to be a very good player, but we're asking an awful lot of him to come in there and have the impact Keanu Neal was going to have on this team. Because Kiki was just Kiki was just that guy who who kind of carried the torch for everything the defense was becoming. Uh, KZ played a lot of teams a year ago, did get some down snaps from scrimmage, but realistically, you know, he's he's got a ways to go to catch Neil in terms of his impact as a teammate. Yeah. I think we've presented this in a pretty balanced fashion. Wes, though, I can't help but hear Saints fans around town this week saying things like, we may be catching Atlanta at the right time. And I guess they're probably talking about the injury situation. Sure. 
What would you say to that? Well, I would say that New Orleans and Atlanta, and you and I talked about this before. In fact, I talked about this this morning with somebody. And Dan Quinn and Arch and I talked about it Monday on the radio show we do with him every week. The thing about New Orleans and Atlanta, there are about four or five games in the NFL like this every year. Because as you and I both know, it's got a college feel to it. It's got the college feel. And because of that, it's going to have college tendencies. So no matter how many yards Drew Brees is going to throw for, no matter how many yards or catches Julio's going to have or, you know, whatever the scenario might be or who makes the big play, Cam Jordan or, you know, Tyke McKinley, Vic Beasley, Grady, whoever, there's still going to be that outside intangible element that may very well determine the game. I mean, I could I could throw the name Garrett Hartley out there, you know? I mean, he missed, what, a chip shot field goal that would have won the game for New Orleans one year. I could throw Michael Turner's name out there. Michael Turner couldn't convert fourth and half my body one day. And New Orleans had plus field possession in overtime and ultimately won the game at the Georgia Dome. That's the outside intangible I'm talking about. That's why the Saints and Falcons are the Saints and Falcons, and it's not Carolina versus Tampa, okay? The Saints and Falcons are tied historically to generations because they entered the league about the same time. And New Orleans and Atlanta, yeah, they act like they don't like each other this week. But I know people from Atlanta like to go to New Orleans to party, and people from New Orleans like to come to Atlanta to party. That's part of this, too. And that's what makes it special to the NFL, I think, as well. Well said, my friend. And interestingly enough, you mentioned early in our visit today about meaningful division games early. After Sunday's game, the Saints will not play in the division again until Thanksgiving night against Atlanta. How about that? Why'd they do that to us, by the way? Yeah. We could have, you know, you know, Thanksgiving night, really? Uh, Come on, Sean. People demand it, Wes, apparently. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, looking forward to it, and as always, I appreciate your visit. Anytime, my man. Always fun. Thank you very much. Have a great week. Okay? Yep. Skate hard, skate straight, and uh, we'll talk to you on Sunday, Wes. <laughs> See you, Sean. Thanks. Thank you. Wes Durham, voice of the Atlanta Falcons. Well, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I could talk to Wes for hours, and frankly, I do. <laughs> we talk on the phone quite often about a lot of things other than football, but certainly today's visit was uh, extra special. Thanks again to Wes Durham, the voice of the Falcons. Of course, he'll be gearing up for Sunday, as are we. And our Black and Blue Report podcast series picks back up on Friday. The ladies are back in the studio. Caroline, Cindy, and Ashley uh, will have their uh, their take on things come Friday. I'll see you next week for the next long-form edition a week from uh, Wednesday. So with that being said, uh, thank you to Mario Jerez today for helping us out in the uh, studio. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you after Saints and Falcons. <laughs> the mood in New Orleans on Sunday will be directly determined by the results of Sunday's action. Full coverage all weekend long at NewOrleansSaints.com and, of course, on your Saints mobile app. Until next time, I'm Sean Kelly.